in this day and age, there's so many distractions, TV, cell phones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. Today, we are speaking with an author. Faraz Zaman is the author of Young Adult Mysteries, The Moon of Masara, and The Sign of the Scorpion. The third book in the series, The Hour of the Oryx, is scheduled to be launched on April 15th. She's presently working on her fourth book, Beneath the Crimson Circle. Farah lives in New York with her family and works a day job as an administrative assistant. Her platform is to encourage young people to read more so they may experience the world through different ways. After a hard day's work, Farah loves nothing better than curling up with a good book and becoming lost in an adventure. Without further ado, here's author Farah Zaman. Farah, welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. Thank you, Dr. Shanaz. I'm very excited to have you here. I'm going to start off uh, on a very different note. Normally, I ask the standard questions, but your book had an effect on me. It actually made me cry. And you're probably thinking, wait, this is a children's adventure book. What are you talking about? You got the wrong book. But um, there was magic in your book because it brought me back to my childhood. And specifically, uh, a book series that I fell in love with was Enid Blyton's Famous Five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was my first question for you. What was the inspiration for your book, Moon Over Masara? Well, it's strange that uh, you should mention Enid Blyton because she was one of my heroes or heroines, if you want to say that. Because when I was growing up, I read a lot of her books. And that's when I fell in love with her books. And um, I've, I've read so many different books. So when I started to think of ID for the moon, it was like, it was like so many different books, you know, was packaged in that one book. It's not just in a Biden, but like Nancy Drew, Party Boys, and books like that. So that's how the moon started. And it was just an idea to begin with. I didn't really think I could do it. But then I told myself, you know what? I've read so many different books that let me give it a try. Let me just sit down and start writing. And that's what I did. And at first it was really difficult. I'm not gonna lie to you, it was, it was difficult trying to put the pieces together and trying to come up with a plot. I really much was a pantser, you know? I was a what? Wrote, I'm sorry, repeat that? A pantser, you know, a pantser and plotter. Okay. So, so I pretty much wrote as the ideas came to me, you know? And that goes to the second book too. But when I started the third book, it was, you know, different. I wanted to have a little more confidence that I know what I'm doing. So that's when I started plotting. Yeah, so I'm, like I told you, the, the third book is coming out next month. So that's where I am in my writing journey right now. Congratulations. So when did you decide that, you know what, 
let me try this. What, what was that like? Was that a switch that went off or through your childhood as you're reading, you've always thought, I, I want to yeah, write? That's a good question because the other thing is too, uh, most of the books we read, there, there's, you know, Harry, Angela, Tom, Big Harry. We don't have any with Adam, Zaid, Zahra, Lila. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see our names in some books, you know, our Muslim names. I wanted to write for our Muslim children because too often they're reading books that they're not, you know, they're not seeing themselves represented in. And I felt it was about time that, you know, we, the Muslim women or men get on the bandwagon and started doing that, you know, for our own selves, you know. I wanted to see books being written where our children are portrayed as being, you know, clever and capable, just like the other heroes and heroines out there. So that's one of the other major reasons why I started writing. That's, that's beautiful. Speaking of writing for Muslim children and writing Muslim books, that was something that I found very charming about your book because of the way you incorporated religion into it, but it wasn't glaring and staring you in your face and you didn't like smash it on me and go, religion, here, take it, we're Muslims. It was very, uh, very gentle, very, it was, I, I don't have the words to describe it. How did you weave that in? How were you able to just bring out the beauty of children growing up in an Islamic culture with taking everything else out. How were you able to do that? Yeah, well, it's part of, you know, it's a little bit of my story too, because I grew up in the religion. So, and I didn't just want the, you know, for Muslim children to read it and enjoy it. I want other children also to read it and enjoy it. So I didn't want to, you know, hit them on the head with religion. I just wanted to show that, you know, even though we're Muslims and we're practicing, it doesn't mean that it's, it's something bad that, you know, we see portrait out there. You know, there, there's so many great parts to being a Muslim, you know? And it's, uh, you know, it's a prayer, it's a charity, it's different things. It's not what you see out there, you know, the terrorism that, you know, that, you know, we're being portrayed as a terrorist so many times. And um, so that's, that's what I wanted to, you know, get out of books like that to show that you know we can be normal normal in the sense that we still practice our religion we can still have fun we can still do exciting things so and i wanted our children our young people especially to read that and you know and feel good about themselves you know feel good about themselves that okay here's somebody with my name in this book and you know they're doing good things and they're they're more role model that i can look up to you know did you try to publish this book in mainstream publishing? Because I see you've, you're using a, the publishing company that's a Muslim publishing yeah. company. Is that right? I actually tried. And it was ironic because just before I started self-publishing, I had queried a few agents and I got no, 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 no. And just before I was ready to publish The Moon, I got a request from, from an agent. And she wanted to see the whole manuscript. And then, so I had to put the publishing on hold for her to read the manuscript. 
So after she read it, she said, you know what, there's so many great things in it, but it's, um, she doesn't feel it's going to be, you know, uh, a book that's going to appeal to a wide variety of people. It's more like for a niche, like Muslims really. So that's, that's what she meant by that. And I couldn't, I couldn't, deny, you know, I couldn't really um, deny the fact that I did write it for Muslim children in mind. So um, I ended up publishing it after that. So I, I didn't do any more queries. It was just, it's frustrating. <laughs> oh, it's very frustrating. And I'm uh, surprised she said that because, like I said, you weren't throwing religion down people's throats. And I felt your book was something that would have been good for any child. Just that your children practiced Islam. I mean, they grew up, I mean, they woke up, they prayed Fajr, they had the Zahar prayers, the Asr prayers, and that was part of their lives, which that was the only difference in their lives. I mean, if we were to read a book about, let's say, Christian children, and they had to go to church on Sundays, that doesn't make the book any more or less intriguing or better. Yeah, so think- that's kind of how I looked at your book. So for the agent to say that, I personally am surprised. Yeah, I think the problem is too, is that um, they're looking at the money side because they're looking that they have to sell this book to a publisher and is the publisher going to buy it? If, and if the book is published, are they going to be able to make money out of it? Are they the, the you know, their regular mainstream readers going to buy this book? So I think all that, you know, those are factors in, in, in the decision. So I'm thinking hopefully, inshallah, that this will change. And um, we just have to keep on writing and querying. And hopefully it, it will change. Because, you know, we, this whole movement with we need more diverse books and things like that. So, you know, that's out there. So hopefully, inshallah. But inshallah. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, you know. <laughs> right. So what is your writing process like? Okay. So like I told you, when I started, I was just writing as the ideas came to me. Okay. If, if I didn't get an idea, I would get stuck in between. That happened a lot in the first book. Okay. In between, okay, what do I do next? How do I get myself out of this hole? How do I move forward? How do I put the you know the pieces together? So it was kind of it was kind of difficult. But I took some really great writing courses along the way, and they sort of helped me to you know put the plot points together with the pacing and the story structure and things like that. So so then my third book when I started to to draft that out, I actually did a chapter by chap- chapter draft. Uh huh. That helped a lot. So, do you write every day, or do you just write when you want to write? I mean, I know you have deadlines. I'm sure. I try to write every day because that's the that's the norm, really. It's you know the standard. You try to write every day because if you don't, you're not, never going to finish the book. It's going to take forever. So I do try to write every day, but it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. So when, you know, when you miss a day, you just, you know, try to make it, make up for it, you know, the next day. 
And sometimes, even if you sit down to write, you might not feel in the mood and then the words don't flow. So you're like, maybe for an hour you sit down there and you, all you have like, it's like maybe one paragraph. And then there are some days when you, all you have is like maybe 15 minutes and then you're like, and the ideas come and you're just writing like crazy. So it's different. Everybody has a different method. And um, it's like they say, you know, you, you sometimes you can't wait in the muse, you know, you can't wait in the muse system. You just got to sit down and start writing. And I find that that helps really too. Uh, sometimes I've like not felt in the mood, but then I sit down, I start writing and then the ideas start coming. It's not perfect, you know, when you're writing a fourth draft, second draft, third draft, even it's, it's like, it's a mess, but you can always go back and fix, you know, like I say, if there's nothing, if there's nothing to fix, then you can't do anything. But when you have something written, you can always go back and fix that. So, what lot. books do you uh, like to read now? Oh, I love mysteries. Mysteries are my favorites. I've read Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, May, um, Mary Higgins Clark. Those are my favorites. Okay. And do you find... Uh... Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie also in your books, or is it just the the children's authors? Um, the children authors, really, yeah. But like sometimes ideas and the the way things are, you know, the the way they arrive at a conclusion, you know, you can use those ideas and try to incorporate it in, when you're writing your, you know, your own stories. Like you know, I thought it would go about solving a case doing the investigation, questioning suspects, doing mm -hmm. sources and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, what would you like to um, tell your audience? What do, you, what do you want, what is your message to the kids? Like if you were to stand out there and there are these whole audience of your fans, what would you say to them? I'll just tell them, you know, just read, 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 and enjoy what you're reading. And, you know, the books I write, they're not like kind of serious, serious stuff that, you know, it's all these serious messages. They're supposed to be, you know, fun, exciting, lighthearted, adventurous stuff. You know, that, that's, my, that's, that's my whole intention of writing. Yeah. It's not, you know, big, scary stuff with, you know, all these serious themes. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that's not my intention. I just wanted kids to have a book. They can see their names in it. They can enjoy reading it. And, you know, tell their friends about it. Feel good about okay. themselves. Yes. And, you know, just, you know, if they can uh, see themselves reflected in there and feel good about themselves, you know, that's my intention. I want the kids to see it, read it, feel good about themselves. You have right now, your third book is coming out in April. Yeah. What do you envision for the series? How many books? Four, because there are four characters, you know, Adam, Lila, Zaid, Zahra. So each one of them, you know, they, they get to be the main protagonist in, in, in the book. So the first one was Zaid. Right. The second one was Lila. And the third one is Adam. And then the last one is Zahra. So it's still from their viewpoint, you know, the viewpoint of each one of them. Oh, that's really so, sweet. So you read the moon, and that was a Zaid's viewpoint. Yes. And kind of the scorpion, that's still from Lila's viewpoint. Okay. I haven't read the others. I've only read the moon so far. Yeah. yeah. 
it was a like i said for me it was a very charming way to be like oh my god i brought back memories of years ago so now i'm kind of going to buy famous five and read it again as an adult just to see you yeah. know how i feel about well yeah those are wonderful books growing up reading famous five the adventures four the uh-huh. five outers it was like it was it was amazing it was like a whole magical world you know and that's that's me i've always been like a bookworm burying my head in books i'm not much of a talker but i'm i'm a writer and a thinker that that's fine that's fine what is your um what is your background like where were you born I was actually born in Guyana, South America. Okay. So my ancestors are Indians, but okay. They they moved like in the 18 mid 1800s, they moved to Guyana. Okay. There so we have a whole you know, diaspora population there in Guyana. You're part of Guyana, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm from. And And I that's came- why you're still there? No, I'm over here in the US. I came like in 1992. Okay. I've been here like what? 26, 27, somewhere around there. Okay, so basically you were born in Guyana then. Yes, I was. You're born in Guyana and then you immigrated to the United States in yeah. the early 90s. Yeah, Guyana used to be British Guyana. So everything okay. here was, you know, was English, so I you learn English in school, all the books were in English, so It was not a problem, you know. So right. I had all the Enid Blytons and those Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. We used to have book clubs. We used to do them in schools. We used to have the library. So that's how I got my love of reading and then eventually writing. That's great. What's your all-time uh, favorite book? I would say one of my most favorite book is The Secret Garden. Have you read that? I haven't read it. I unfortunately have only seen the movie, but I have not read it. Everyone says it's really a good book to read. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was very very bizarre I should use. It it really touched me when I read it, you know, the these kids growing up and there's so many things going on with them, but eventually, you know, they found themselves and you know, Uh-huh. Yeah, I grew up more with the I think after the Famous 5 series, I moved on to Jane Eyre and Rebecca and the classics. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think I read Jane Eyre and also um uh some other but Charles Charles Dickens, Great Expectations and those books like that. Yeah. The Black Arrow. Uh-huh. I've read a few classics. But your favorite is The Secret Garden. The Garden, yeah. Uh-huh. Is that the book you would recommend children to start with? Yeah, that's one of the books I would recommend definitely. Yeah. I know kids nowadays probably have they, they have different tastes. They have all these uh, Twilight books and vampire stuff. Oh gosh, yeah, Twilight. I've never I've never been into this one. Vampire stuff tell you the truth. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't get into those vampire books. Well, One book that I've read that I enjoy was The Hunger Games. I enjoyed that. Okay, I have not read. Yeah, 
I haven't read the Hunger Games yet. I just read the Giver series. The Have Giver. you heard of those? No. By Lois Lowry? Yeah. Because, see, you're saying no, and you grew up in Guyana, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting uh, internationally because children in America, they study the giver in oh. middle school, okay? This is something, so when a friend of mine told me about the giver, or she mentioned something, I go, what's that? What book is that? She looks at me like her eyes went wide open, like I had grown two horns. And I said, I I don't know. But on the same token, on the flip side, when I tell her, oh, Famous Five, Enid Blyton, she looks at me like, what's that? And I look at her the same way. Exactly. (laughs) I find... The international community very um, intriguing. What are your thoughts on that? That what I just said—the fact that American kids are growing up with the Giver series or the Giver and other books—and they've never heard of Enid Blyton—and yes, well, we are grown up, grew up with Enid Blyton. What are your thoughts on international books and about how to um, make it where everyone's reading everything? Where? It's equal access. I think it's really, you know, in this day and age, it's like to each his own. It's like even um, like in in Britain, it's like, you know, they have their own things going on there. Australia, over here, Canada. So I don't know. I mean, I think that the, the big publishing companies would, you know, at least do something about that. But I don't really know. I don't have the answers to that, to tell you the truth. But I, I just enjoy reading and whatever I find out there that, you know, that, that I like to read, I, I just stick with those. So, and I know there's a whole lot of books out there that, you know, that you can't even read them all. It's too many. Oh, absolutely. Yes. How many books do you read generally in a month? Like, I know you write a lot, but... I'm sure you read also because you're a writer, right? It's like I could read a book in one yeah, I can read a book in one night, and sometimes I do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I just read it out in one night and be done with it. And How many pages are we talking? We're talking about like maybe 200 and something, 300 and something, maybe like 26, 28, 29 chapters. Total. Okay. Yeah, I can read quick. I'm okay. Like, you know, you probably do the same thing. You know, when you read At- for a while, it's like, you know. Actually, no, I'm not a very fast yeah. reader, but I, I read a lot because I do a lot of audiobooks. Okay, okay. So that's how I, um, that's how I can read so many. That, okay. That's how I can hopefully, inshallah, get past 100 books this year. I'm hoping. That's my goal for this year. But if I didn't do audiobooks, mm-hmm. my physical reading speed is a little slow. I mean, I... I read, but still, it's a little slow. Yeah, it's like you can just gobble them up. And sometimes I start a book and then uh, it's kind of like not not interesting, kind of boring. So I just skip the boring parts, go on to the, to the interesting parts. And then I said, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> oh, so you will continue reading the book. You'll just keep flipping yeah. the pages and just look for the interesting parts. I can find out what happened in the end. 
<laughs> that's okay. what I want I want to know what happens in the end, you know. That's why I love mysteries, you know, to keep me guessing. And uh, I just want to know what happens in the end. But don't you think part of the end is the journey? I, I mean, definitely. And in some books, I would read every single word because each one of them counts. But then in some books, it's so, you know, it's so blah, that journey is so blah that I don't feel like I want to keep with it. So I just fast forward it. <laughs> Probably not, you know, not nice to, for the author to hear that. But, you know, hey, somebody might do the same with my books too, you know, so... That's the way it is, you know. You don't ever stop a book? Like halfway through, get like, you know what, I'm done. I don't want care about the end. I'm just done. Do you ever, do you ever get into that I kind of issue? Yes. I've seen, uh, I've read some like that, so I just leave it down because it was, it was not good. I just leave it down. I start the first page, second page, third page, and then. That was it. So you'll you'll give a book three pages before you continue. Yeah, yeah you kind of pretty much know after a while that you know that's really you know if you really want to read the whole thing. So you know, you, you pretty much know when you've read for a while, you know what works or you know what doesn't. So well, that's how it is. What advice would you give to people to? Uh, have them read more books. Uh, that's a tough one. It's like in this day and age, there's so many distractions, TV, cell phones. It's like, I don't know. It's so, it's so difficult to give people advice. I'm trying to get people to read my books, buy my books. And it's like, how are you going to drag them away from the TV? How are you going to drag them away from their cell phones? Uh, I don't know. I think... Um, it all has to do with the parents trying to, you know, I think the parents play a great role in this, trying to buy the books or get them from the library, give the kids to read, you know, try to like feed them a little bit of it at a time because I think on their own, they're not going to really go pick up a book to read unless it's, you know, it's in school and it's on the reading list. I don't think they're going to they're gonna pick up a book of their own and read. But, you know, the next thing I hear, too, is that there's people reading still, you know, people reading out there. So somehow they're finding the, you know, the motivation to pick up a book and once they pick up a book and they, you know, they, they like what they read, I guess that kind of, you know, give them the incentive to go on, try other books. And then, you know, so when it starts on one, then it continues two, three, four, a hundred, a thousand. 10,000. <laughs> I think I've probably read 10,000. <laughs> uh, I mean, I see, I've seen kids where they'll read a book and they love the book. And then they're, and then they're like, well, that book was good, but I don't think any other book is going to be good. Yeah. And I don't understand that concept there. That's what they're like. Well, yeah, that book was really good, but eh, okay. I'm done. And I'm going, oh my God, just because, you know, there's so many other books. Ah, yeah, it's like, it's tough, you know, it's, it's really tough. And I think some kids are really, you know, they're readers and some just aren't. It's as simple as that. Some are readers, some, some aren't. 
So your book was self-published, is that right? Yes, yes, I self-published it. Because I see you posting a lot on Instagram with uh, Daybreak Publishing or... Yeah, um, Daybreak is actually a a Muslim press too. So they have this, um, you know, this competition where you submit your book and then they would judge which in different categories. So I submitted my book and, and then, you know, it won that award, so... But I'm not really affiliated with Daybreak. They're they're just uh, you know, they do publish books, but I think they um, uh, not a lot because you know funding and things like that. That's why it's so tough for you know, for Muslims really to break into the publishing business. It's really tough because we don't really have much representation out there. We don't have a Muslim publishing company like in the mainstream. So we have all these little presses around the place doing this you know sort of thing, but then, uh, you know, they have to struggle for survival because, you know, they have to make money off of it too. And it's really tough these days to really make money out of books. So, What about Amazon? Yeah, well, that's where I sell my books on Amazon. I sell on my own, like when there's any, um, you know, conference or things like that. I, mm-hmm. I, I sell on my own, but otherwise they're on Amazon. And they do sell a little bit at a time, one here, one there. But uh, they've been selling. I, I can't say they haven't. Not not in the, you know, tens and the, the hundreds, but, you know, a few here, a few there. So. so eventually, you know, inshallah, the word will get out. And, you know, and hopefully our kids are going to read more, uh, especially if they find exciting books that they enjoy and to see their names in it. So. What are your plans for marketing the book? What have you done so far? What have you not done? What? Oh, Lord, marketing is a whole different ballgame. It's a tough thing to do to market because you got to really put yourself out there. And I'm not really a person who can put myself out there. <laughs> you know, I, I'm this laid back, introverted person. So it's tough for me to market. But But I try, you know. I, I do try. I do a few ads here and there on uh, Facebook. I think I'm going to have to do some on Amazon now. And um, like I said, most of my selling, I do like at conferences. They have activities going on. I, I take my books there. You know, What kind of conferences? Like women's conferences and then conventions. We have um, we had a Caribbean convention recently in our okay. area. So I, I take, take the books there. And, you know, that's where you have one-to-one, you, you, you know, you, you sell one-to-one, you meet the, the, the readers right there and then. So it, it's nice. It's a so nice thing to do. These are just, they're not necessarily book conferences. No, no, they're not book conferences. No. The cultural conferences, essentially. Yes, cultural, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you tried going to a book conference and going to libraries and giving your books and I know that's the next step I have to do but I haven't started doing that because I still have a day job <laughs> I have to pay for these books to publish so I have some my day job does that so that kind of limits me and what what I can do so you know what is your day job I'm an administrative assistant I work in a nursing home so okay so that's my day job so that kind of limits me from nine to five every day yeah so then nine to five, you work, then you come home and you write your book. Yes. 
every day, including the weekends. Yeah, well, most of the weekends I try to do chores, shopping, some cooking, so I don't have to cook during the week. Uh huh. So that's what I do during the week. When I come home, I you know I can concentrate on the writing there. So, what is your experience with the uh, Instagram? Uh, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of sketchy at the best, you know. I mean. Uh, it's kind of tough to really gain followers when you're not posting every day, which I don't. It's and then uh, who you got to look for the audience, and my audience is going to be other fellow writers. And then there's my religious persona, so I want to have Muslim, you know, Muslim followers too. So it's like somewhere in between there. So if I post about book stuff about my book, the 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 you know, the authors who I follow, it's going to be fine for them. If I post anything from my religious persona side, then it's going to be the, the religious people who's going to, you know, who's going to like that. So it's like, it's hard to try to balance the two of them. So I think that's my problem, trying to balance those two. And I, I just recently um, got on Twitter too, and it's the same thing. But on Twitter, there's so many authors and I've started connecting with a lot of them and it's got to be in that kind of um, community you know you get support you get you know you get feedback sometimes I was able to even get a few people who um who would help review, review the new book so so that was that was good well that is very good I haven't uh, gone on Twitter yet yeah it's a whole different world <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm told. I, I don't know if I want to go on Twitter. I know everyone's on Twitter and I'm kind of like, uh. Yeah, so it's a larger audience there, more people, but then, then you still have to, you know, you have to like have thousands of followers before you actually, you know, like get a following because it's so, your little tweet can easily get lost in so many other tweets, you know? Right. We'll have so many thousands of followers i just started i only have like 600 and something and it's like that's great so but then my tweet get lost in between all this stuff so it's like you know it's it takes a while it takes a while to build it up so but 600 followers sounds really good yeah and it's said mostly authors you know mostly authors and they're very they're a very supportive group and they have all these little incentives you do that you know writers lift so when they do the writer's lift, you, you comment on their post and then you retweet it and then somebody else follow you from that tweet. Uh-huh. So it helps to build your following. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot there. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of all tricky for me. I'm still, I'm getting through Instagram right now. I'm getting the hang of it. Mm-hmm. Still trying to build followers on Instagram for my podcast. And then, you know, now you're talking about Twitter. I think ultimately this whole book marketing world is, it's everything Mm -hmm. and all the right hashtags. Mm -hmm. And it can be very time consuming too. And, and, you know, one of the warnings that, you know, people when they give advice as the writers, one of the things they tell them, don't get up too much in the social media, don't get caught up too much because you're not going to be writing all the time you spend, you know, chit-chatting here and there. It's costing you in writing time, and it's true. 
It's true because you're not going to finish your book if you're going to be doing too much, you know, social media. So, and I, I try to try, you know, I try to balance it so I don't get too much caught up. But then you have to like, if you don't post everything and people sort of forget about you. So that's an extra act too. But, but you know, I'm going to take it a little at a time because I want to enjoy my writing journey. I want to enjoy the time I spend writing. And I don't want to have to worry too much about, you know, profits and, you know, those kind of things. So I just want to enjoy how, how long I can do it for, I'll do it. But there, there's probably going to come a time when I retire and I wouldn't be able to because it's expensive. And then I'll probably just have to give it up. <laughs> what is expensive? Tell me about when you say it's expensive, what do you mean? Self-publishing. There's, there's so many things involved, you know. Like what? So when you finish your manuscript, you have to have it edited. Right. I'm not going to send out a book there that's not edited. Oh, of course not. Yeah, absolutely. My thing is, um, if it's going out there, it has to be a professional book, you know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I'm self-publishing. And and this happens with a lot of self-publishers, you know, people who self-publish. It's like, you know, it needs a lot of work more. But I try, um, you know, I I have it edited, I have it proofread, and I, I pay good money to have those things done. And after that's done, then they have to like form it, format it for the um, paperback, and then you have to format it for Kindle. So that's another cost. And then you have to pay for the cover. And, you know, that's so it kind of adds up, you know. Oh, wow. You really wouldn't be making it back unless you sell like hundreds and thousands of books. So, yeah. And wow, I never considered all those other costs. Are, are you able to do some of it, for example, the formatting? Well, I could. I was thinking about that, but inshallah, when I retire, because I really don't have the time now, you know, with work and everything, it, it's tough to really find the time to do all of that. But I'm thinking maybe, inshallah, when I retire, and by then I'll be too old <laughs> to want to write anymore. <laughs> but um, that, that's, you know, that's one thing can be done. I, I, I know a lot of people do that. They try to do a lot of stuff on their own to offset the cost. So, um, you know, maybe. So I guess, essentially, with self-publishing, you are paying a lot of the costs up front. Yes. And then whatever you sell, you get to keep. Yes, yes. But with traditional publishing... They pay you up front. They pay you up front. Yes. But then whatever you make, you get to keep a very small percent of it. After you, the the royalty is worked out, then they start paying you back. After you work out that royalty, you know, the payment they give you up front. Uh That was enough. And then you, you know, you make back that royalty, then they'll start paying you after that. And it's still a percentage. It's not like, and it's a low percentage. My understanding is about less than 10% of the cost of the book is what you get back for with traditional publishing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and with um, Amazon, it's it's kind of tough too because like with paperback, you get like maybe um, 35%. But with a Kindle, you get you get a little more, you get like maybe um, 85%. So the Kindle really, it, it, it's more, it's, it's better. Oh, wow. You only get 25% of the cost of the book back on uh, traditional? 35 35% of the cost of a paperback book 
is uh-huh. what you get back as a check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Chicken feed. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, I was, for whatever reason, I thought Amazon was higher. I don't know why. No, it's, it's not. I was shocked too when I, when I first heard that and said, oh my God. <laughs> but I had already started and it's like, there's no going back. Listen, I'm, I'm writing this book. It's, it's not really about the money right now. I just want to get it out there. I've worked so hard on it. I, you know, I, I need to get it out there. So, Right. So basically writing is not for the faint of heart. No, absolutely not. <laughs> you got to feel a real calling to write, you know, and, and that's what I did. You know, I felt, I felt that calling. I, I felt I had to, you know. I needed to do that. And it, it's something that really, you know, brings me fulfillment. So I, I love doing it. But uh, the, the other side of it, though, you know, the financial side, it, 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 you know, you can't really think about that when you're writing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be writing at all. <sighs> There'd be no writing. So basically, when I write my book, I just have to uh, put out so yeah. much money and just know it's going out and it's not coming back. Yes. Not in maybe a, a hundred years, <laughs> unless you sell a, a whole lot, you know, and people, but some people do make it back because they sell a lot of books and mostly, you know, you, you know, the, um, the non-Muslims really, because they have all these different books and, and you know, which, what kind of books sell romances, romances sell a lot. And I see some, um, I, at least I know one, one Muslim woman, she's actually writing romances like interracial romances, and she she's doing well, as far as I know. <laughs> so I could go into romances too, who knows? <laughs> okay, there you go. So after you're done with the four children's books, go into romances, and then you'll get your money back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you want to do, really, you know? I mean, I could write for mainstream. I could have, I could have a... a Harry Potter in my book. I've had a Jane, an Elizabeth, or somebody with those names in my book. And, you know, maybe they'll consider it. But when it's just Muslim kids, it's kind of a tough sell out there in the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, I, I just had a book club yesterday. We were talking about the book uh, American Dirt and all the controversy surrounding it with own voices and all of that. Uh, you know, and hearing you talk about how it's difficult because you have Muslim names and with Muslim kids, but your story is solid. I mean, I loved, loved, loved your story and they're regular kids. To me, I, I mean, I noticed they're Muslim kids because I'm Muslim myself and I thought it was very beautiful how you brought it. But the story was just a regular story of children having fun, mm-hmm. which, uh, I wish, you're right, I wish more publishers would open up the doors and look at it from that aspect. Yeah, and um, I think uh, if we have enough Muslims living here, enough Muslims buying books, and, you know, it's probably going to happen, inshallah, hopefully. Have you been to ISNA conventions and tried to sell your book there? Uh, If you go there, you have to, like, take a really big boot, and it costs a lot. So what you're going to make on the book, it's not going to even cover the cost you're going to have to pay for the boot. So it's like, <laughs> it's a catch-22. <laughs> Maybe just go there 
and just stand and just approach people and go, oh, salam alaikum. Hey, I'm an author, you know, and blah, 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 and just kind of give out your cards. I've actually sold a few to a bookstore, online bookstore. But uh-huh. then, they have, then they have to compete with Amazon. So then I have to like, I have to sell it at a, a lower pr- price to them so they could compete with Amazon. So it didn't really do much for me, for my pocket, but you know, at least uh, it's in a store out there. Okay. And then maybe, um, I know Barnes & Noble in your area. So if they have an author in their area, they will put your books out in their store. So for example, like if I wrote a book, I know Barnes & Noble would be willing to put my book out there because I'm from this area. But that's only Barnes & Noble in the St. Louis area. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot of networking involved. And that's one other thing I have to get into, which I haven't really got into yet. Like you said, the libraries and the bookstores in the area. So that's, you know, something I'm hoping in the future I can be able to do when, you know, but right now my workload, it's, it's kind of tough. So I can't really take time off to go, you know, go to a bookstore. Right. <laughs> my boss is here. I take time off to go to a bookstore to sell my books. I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Your book or writing or reading, anything? It's just that, you know, being a Muslim woman, a minority, it's like sometimes you get this imposter syndrome. You you know what that is, right? Yes, imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like you you feel like you're not on par with with the other people out there who are writing books. And it's like, you know, one of the things that I struggle with a lot, you know, it's like, I'm an ordinary person, you know, writing a book. They're like, who she, does she think she is writing a book, trying to sell it out there? So that's one thing I struggle with too, you know. That, um, but, I, uh, you know, I know that the books I, I write, they're good compared mm-hmm. to other books I read out there. And I try my best with that. That's why I make sure I have them edited and proofread and everything. So it's something I have to keep, you know, talking myself out of, but, you know. Like I said, I really, I really love to write, and that's one of the reasons why I do it because it brings me fulfillment and you know brings me joy. So that's why I keep doing it. Not really the money, right? Well, obviously now we not that we talked about the money. It's like obviously you got to write to write because you want to, not because of the money. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, about the imposter syndrome, I think everybody, Muslim or not yeah, has the imposter a- syndrome. I mean, you could always have like, well, I'm a woman, so I have, maybe it is my work is good because we're, we're constantly bombarded with these messages. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, these messages do eventually permeate our brains yeah. and make us start questioning things, which is a very, very sad state of being but we're living in a world where it's so many of these messages and you've got to put that wall and blinders around you and say, no, 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 no. I'm good enough. I'm fine. Let's move on. But it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I've talked to other authors who, um, who also mention imposter syndrome. Yeah. I think 
I it's, think it's part of the common. human condition. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, then writing is something is it's like you constantly improve it. It's like where you start off, it's not where you're going to end up later, you know, toward forward book down the road, it's going to be different because it's like you learn so much stuff along the way, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, well, Farah, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's been fun talking to you. Thank you for having me. This is the first time I'm doing a podcast. That's it for my conversation with Farah Zaman. Before I go, quick note, Farah's books are available on Amazon. I've read the first one and I highly recommend it. I have my usual requests. Please tell one other friend about my podcast. And if you want to reach me, contact me at livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My starting and ending music was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. This is Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>